and welcome to this week's episode from A Lancashire Lass. Happy New Year to all my listeners out there. I hope you had a great Christmas and are excited to see what 2021 has in store for us. In this episode, I had the most interesting chat with Seema Kennedy, who used to be the Conservative MP for South Ribble. I know Seema as we work together campaigning for the access to cystic fibrosis drugs. We talk about life as an MP, the roles that Seema had within Parliament, and also the importance of tackling loneliness. So without further ado, here's my first podcast of 2021. Joining me today in 2021's first podcast is Seema Kennedy. Seema was the South Ribble MP from 2015 to 2019. Hello, how are you today? Hi Lucy, I'm all right, how are you? I'm good, thank you. So talk to me a little bit about your career as an MP, what it was like, um, and things maybe we wouldn't expect. That you well, did. first of all, I think it's great that it's lovely to see you again, because of course we um, did some work together when I was your Member of Parliament, and I think it's fantastic that you're doing this podcast. I know that um, I sort of discovered podcasts in 2017, 2018, so I was quite late to it. Yeah. And then there's one that I've become completely addicted to. Um, I'll give it a shout out at the end. Obviously, it's not going to be as, as good as yours. <laughs> but when the, the thing came up on Spotify, you know, when it says, um, what have you been listening to this year? Yeah. And it was one day, apparently, I listened to nine episodes and it was sort of right at the beginning of lockdown. Yeah. Um, when things were just all a bit grim and I was binge listening to a podcast. So I think they're amazing and um, such a variety. And I really like this local angle that you've got. And yeah. Let's hope that 2021 is going to be a heck of a lot better year than 2020 was. Yeah. I mean, I only started listening to podcasts in lockdown when I would go on my sort of hour of exercise or if I was when I was training for my, marathon, my half marathon, I was just listening to to them and or if you know if you're doing a long journey so they are they are really interesting and good yeah <laughs> yeah and I think there's a real intimacy to um audio sort of you, you almost feel like you know the people better because you can just walk around with them can't you you know like I'll, I'll be this favorite podcast um or the radio you can have it while you're doing the cleaning brushing your teeth in the shower in the car and it's with you all the time so it's yeah. such an exciting medium um, so anyway, sorry, I'm just wittering on here. No, so okay. my life as an MP, I guess, um, well, the thing is, when you talk to people, and of course, that over the last year since I've left Parliament, um, but I haven't really left public life and campaigning, a lot of people are talking about that. And they sort of presume that you come straight into Parliament and then that's your public service and then you drop off and you do something else but really it's like a continuum so I'd say that um, from quite young because my family my father's family was from Iran so we were very I was very aware of politics in a mm -hmm. household and a family and how it can affect you because we had to leave when there was a revolution there in the late 1970s so I was always very aware of it and I did a lot of volunteering when I was a teenager um, I did some stuff at Stonyhurst 
with children with special needs and then I carried on doing holidays at Ampleforth. Um, and then when I was at university, I did this sort of thing and I was a volunteer lawyer because I trained as a solicitor. Mm-hmm. So I did uh, worked at a law centre. And I hadn't really thought of politics as a career. And I that is probably because of the age that I came into consciousness as an adult and a voter. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think I'm a natural conservative by my disposition. Yeah. And the 1990s were not a great time for the conservatives i mean they, no. you know we'd been in power for a long time and there was a lot of argument although you know now looking at it it looks very calm but there was the same old, we'd been in government a long long time it was very tired we were arguing about europe blah 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 and i just thought mm, this isn't for me and student politics at cambridge was pretty unattractive so i didn't get involved so i was always but i was always very interested in um what we now call purpose so purpose-driven organizations um and that's how i got involved really so i started i did all this stuff in law centers i did the holidays with children with special needs but i always thought well wouldn't it be interesting and wouldn't i feel fulfilled in taking more of a direct role in how we govern the country and how we govern the community so i got involved in local politics um and learned my trade then so I'd been doing that for about 10 years before I even got into Parliament. And yeah. that involves learning all about your local community, knocking on doors and talking to people, running surveys, becoming a counsellor. Well, you don't have to be a counsellor, you know, or finding out those sort of things. And eventually, um, when the South Ribble seat came up, because I grew up in the neighbouring seat of the Ribble Valley, that was a really natural one for me to go to. Um, yeah. And I, that was that was the start of that journey. I remember um, the first time I sort of heard of you or saw you was in the the first election in 2015, I think it was. And um, there was sort of a debate with all the other potential candidates for the Member of Parliament job. And it was at St Andrew's Church in Longton. And I remember that everyone was there. And then there was all these sort of questions being asked. And I was under 18 at the time so obviously couldn't vote but I was so excited if I could choose who I would choose and and all that and I just remember listening to all the questions and then getting really excited that I'd seen you there in person and then you were RMP. <laughs> well, um, I, remember, I remember that one really well yeah because um, I had done a few different I had done one in um, Eccleston which no sorry I'd done one in Maudsley which was horrific <laughs> I'd done one in Leyland which was well no that was also horrific but the one in Longton because of course lots of the people I knew are from Longton so the lots of people I knew in the hall and it was quite a sympathetic audience yeah whereas the what other ones were just like you're a bleep in, in inserts expletive yeah. yeah they were horrible i'd also been stopped by the police on the way to maudsley and i was like why are you stopping they were like you're driving so slowly we presume you're drunk i was like no 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 i'm so nervous on the way to the hustings i was only going from hutton i'd left an hour to get there because <laughs> i was so nervous and they thought i was drunk i was like no I'm, I'm just really nervous i'm going to a hustings and the guy was like what's a hustings thinking this woman's a lunatic anyway by the time i got to longton it was better i know andrew um i knew andrew and he's a great guy um and but the hilarious thing was one of my um activists was in the camp was in the audience mm-hmm. and he 
very outspoken and he asked this question about having a knee i don't i'm sure you don't remember this but he asked a question about having a knee operation and he asked the girl the one of the other the labor candidate whose name was um veronica and he insisted on calling her vanessa and he said i'm going to have a knee operation and then he went and he banged his knee on the floor and i just thought oh my word but it got it sort of broke the ice because sometimes those can be really really aggressive yeah i mean in the 2017 election some of them well we didn't have many in the 2017 election because it was so fast but we yeah. did have one in leyland where they'd like shipped people in from somewhere else that was a bit grim i mean hustings are just they're very difficult they're very yeah. difficult because they can get so aggressive yeah, I remember there was someone who was sat near me and he was sort of talking, he asked a question, but you could tell he wasn't local because he was asking about Exton and he was like, but what are you going to do in Yuxton? And we were, and then a lot of people around me, the area, they were all saying how it's not Yuxton, it's Exton. Who even is this person? Um, yeah, yeah that, is, that is the guy we're talking about. Oh. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to name him on your podcast, but yeah. he's, a, he's a great man, but um, he doesn't need any more publicity. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um yeah so then that sort of sparked my interest in in government and then when I found out that you went to the high school that I was at and it yes. was exciting then it made me feel like you as a um a woman were so influential and inspiring to all of us young ladies and people out there who want to strive for roles like an MP or high up roles in companies um so I, I was just really inspired by that. And then from the, literally from that election, I will watch all elections on the sofa and try and stay up and then sleep. And then, I mean, I did that with the US one, but I didn't need to because we didn't get a result that quick. Um, yeah, that was, that was, people were like awake for a week. I think the thing is with me, I have, um, well, particularly the two years that I spent with Teresa at number 10, that was so intense. And I was just having to like live it, breathe it 24 hours a day on the phone, and all my friends were so fascinated that nobody ever wanted to talk about anything else. Yeah. But now, I mean, yesterday I got to, I was picking one of my children up from school and somebody said, oh, what's going on in Brussels? I'm like, no idea. I was listening to my audiobook. I said, <laughs> it's not like I'm not interested in public life. I am. But I have no influence. Yeah, it's not your life anymore. It's not. Yeah. It, I have no influence about how those talks are going to work out. And I got so stressed. I mean, like sometimes I'd be sitting there thinking, God, if Brexit, if we don't get this deal through, this is all my fault because, you know, I should have been persuading colleagues more, but clearly it wasn't. No. So I'm like, I do, I think there is a problem with following the twists and it's very exciting. I accept mm. that, but following the twists and turns. And now I'm trying to take a bit more of a step back and think, well, what do we look like? What will we look like in a, if we don't get a deal by this Sunday or whenever, you know by the end of the year or whatever i mean yeah the, still probably even if we don't get a deal now there will be some deal of some description in the future what yeah. will we look like as a country and i think we also really need to get back at looking get back to looking at other things because the problem yeah. is while we've all we've spent now nearly five years literally five years thinking about europe mm -hmm. and in those five years china is just like woo we're massive we're doing stuff america's attitude to um international bodies has had this huge vault fast which has really affected our standing in the world and i do think that we need to look outwards and then we also need to look inwards as a country to all the challenges that are facing us as well yeah um and so 
a few of the roles you did as your MP, so you were a public health minister, you were an immigration minister, um, a parliamentary aide for Theresa May. Before sort of all those roles that you got, when you first became an MP, what was the first experience when you actually went into the House of Commons and sat in, in the seat and how did that feel? Yeah, that was amazing. Um, that's a really good question. So that was, um, you know, whatever the 8th of May or 10th of May, sometime in May 2015. Mm -hmm. And we had to get there very early in the morning. Um, and I had, I don't know why, I decided, obviously, I always try to dress my best. And I think, you know, I'm representing South Ribble. I want to look my best at all times. So I decided to go not take flat shoes and take high heels for the entire day. So that was one memory. I literally just by the end of it, by four o'clock, I just thought my feet were going to bleed. Um, but uh, I know you want a bit of colour, Lucy. I'm, I don't want to, I want to show you that what was really happening. So I got to, um, I got to parliament and they mm -hmm. said, right, wait in the door because you didn't have a pass okay. and they'll hand you pass out. And then you need to go up to this induction place and they'll teach you how to use it. Okay. Anyway, I got there and I was standing there and somebody like turned around and whacked me with a rucksack. I was like, what? Turned around. It was our now current prime minister, Mr. Johnson, who'd got this, like, he'd had like a, you know, cycling helmet, rucksack. Of course he had been an MP before and then he stopped while he was mayor of London, but then we came back in together right. and there he was. Anyway, so that was my first thing. And actually <coughs> then it's really lovely, but then you don't have an office because they're still allocating the offices because the problem is of course lots of people suddenly are not MPs anymore and not like me who I made that decision proactively and I stood down lots of people just lose their job yeah and so they can't just you've got to make your staff redundant you've got to move all your belongings if you think about somebody who's been an MP even for me I was there for five years I accumulated a lot of stuff in that office yeah. some people have been there for 20 years yeah and all of a sudden they have to move their stuff out so they don't give you a office overnight because there's not space so everybody's shifting around i had to work in portcullis house which is like the modern extension to parliament mm -hmm. just off they gave you i think they gave must have given me a laptop on the first day or second day um and you had a member of staff who was your mentor um besides that you didn't really know what you were doing i mean oh. literally i was quite lucky i had two people who came straight away and said oh i'd like to work for you I interviewed them and they had both worked for MPs before. So they knew quite a lot of the systems. One yeah. had worked up in a constituency office and one had worked in Westminster. So they worked really well together. Mm -hmm. um, and then cha the chamber, what we did was we all had to go in for like an induction session and just sat in the benches and people told us, but frankly, but the problem was you've had all that time. So I have was selected to be the candidate in South Ribble in June, 2014 yeah and i basically gave up everything else in that was going on in my life and just completely campaigned because yeah. it was a marginal seat really back in those days and um and then you have the very intense experience of the election which is utterly exhausting and then you go so by the end of the day i couldn't really remember what anybody was talking about and i was like yeah. and my feet were killing me so they took a <laughs> photograph of you and then you went off and and the way you learn, there there was some sort of formal induction, but it's not like a normal job. And it's definitely like not like a normal job that is going in 2020, where there is a really structured HR program and induction. They did do some stuff like that, and you had you could go on a tour and because it was good. I mean, I re very distinctly remember 
It's great, Lucy, because you reminded me of all these things. That if I ever write my memoirs, I can write them down. Yeah, write an autobiography. Going, going from Portcullis House um, to vote because the yeah. bell rang and getting there and thinking, oh my God, I'm going to get lost. I mean, I don't have much sense of direction. And, and then walking with Rishi Sunak because Rishi and I were in the same intake and go uh -huh. oh it's here and we opened a door and it just had a vacuum in it <laughs> it just like opened a cupboard by accident <laughs> oh god where are we going and then of course because he's a really clever bloke we ran up this flight of stairs and got there in time but um yeah you do get lost all the time and people are terribly helpful mm. um and then what people said to me was just sit in the chamber and try and learn mm -hmm. I did that and then I guess a couple of months later, I can't really remember exactly when it was. Um, then I um, did my maiden speech and then after that, it's, um, I'd say actually before the summer, I didn't do very much. You do a few votes and it's really, a lot of it is about concentrating on the constituency. But how I really gained my confidence about speaking in the chamber <laughs> was I was put on a bill committee. So a bill committee is when you examine the legislation it's broad themes in the chamber and then it goes up to a committee room and let's say five members uh from the government side five i don't know maybe it's more than that it's probably 10 from each side mm -hmm. um from the opposition and then ministers and you go through what's called line by line scrutiny so you literally discuss every single word in a piece of legislation wow how long does that kind of take mm. Well, it depends on the people. Let's say the HS2 bill yeah. took years. I mean, okay. um, basically everybody who sat on the HS2 bill has now been given a knighthood, let's put it that way, because it was so grim. <laughs> um, but the trade, I, the first one, so I did it on the trade union bill. And I'm trying to remember, but I think it was about four weeks. Okay. So you'd sit all every Tuesday and every Thursday. You, that's all you do. So it takes up a heck of a lot of your time. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's a lunch break. Um, and then you go and on a Thursday, because of course, normally a lot of time on a Thursday, it's ending a one line whip. So people want to get back to the constituencies, but you're there till five o'clock or something. Um, but yeah, so that was really good. And it built up a lot of confidence. And I realized oh, look, this is often what happens to me. Oh, I'm not actually as thick as I thought. I mean, this is a common theme, I think, for women of a certain uh, generation I think oh I'm, I'm such a dimwit compared with everybody else I got there and I was like oh actually I'm not a dimwit I do know what I'm talking about so that was a really good experience and then straight away I went and sat on what was called the housing and planning bill mm -hmm. because I've got a background in property and that then gave me loads of confidence about speaking in the chamber I mean I'm still I would never say I was like a brilliant orator um, and I'm not that funny or I don't know every single thing about um, parliamentary procedure but by the end, I had a lot more confidence. Although, of course, I had two years when I couldn't speak because as Teresa's PPS, I couldn't speak. So um, for listeners who might not know, when you were talking about sort of a one-line whip, do you want to explain the difference in like the one-line yeah. whip? Yeah, oh, that's a very good point. So um, there's what the whips are, the, the sort of HR function mm -hmm. of Parliament. Um, I don't know if the whatever it's called the CIPD is that the HR union I don't think they'd recognize them but they're the ones who corral the party together mm -hmm. and they're the ones who tell you at the beginning of the week or the previous week you get a list and it says this is the business so the leader of the house um, and Mr Speaker will look and they'll say this is the business we want to have we'll be discussing this piece of legislation blah 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 
and then the government will say right well this is a debate on a piece of legislation that we we have to win mm -hmm. um so it's called a three-line whip so you have to be there no you know no excuses you have to be there there's a one and then a one-line whip is for debates where it's like a general debate and people are going to discuss um matters of the day or somebody might say right i really want to discuss um let's say cf i know that's a passion of you know things that you've campaigned on and it's a general debate so there won't actually be a vote on it or there's not a vote which can bind bind parliament yeah so you might have then there are some i only saw a two-line whip every so often and i never i don't think anybody really understood what they were they were like mm, we sort of want you to come but we can't force you but it's either a three-line whip or a one-line whip and um when you're in the commons like say if it was sort of prime minister's questions or anything what was sort of the atmosphere because sometimes when i'm watching it and everyone's sort of like you know making noises and sort mm -hmm. of agreeing with things and saying like here here and all that kind of thing what well, is the atmosphere like i can tell it's very much like being at a football match okay so if that's the sort of thing you like and if you like being in a crowd and you like people shouting and getting excited that's how it feels i mean it's amazing it is amazing and if you have to stand up and ask a question in pmqs well yeah. in normal times not covid times yeah you're there you've got 650 people sitting there you've got and then hundreds of people in the galleries around you and the yeah. chamber is a very small space so it is like a real bear pit and the, the first time i ever had to ask a question because I kept putting, what you do is you don't automatically get a question. It doesn't go on a rotor. You put your name in a hat into a ballot and they draw lots. All right. So every week I put my name in for the ballot and I never got called. And then the, in January 20, what, uh, not 20, gosh, where are we? Uh, 2016. Yeah. I got called and I was thinking, oh, I'll ask about this. I'll ask about that. I'll ask about loneliness because I'm so into, and then we had floods. So there was no other question I could ask. Oh. So I asked a question about that. Um, but I was petrified, but I was quite lucky because it wasn't political. I was asking. And so because everybody, lots of people had been affected, the chamber went very quiet. Whereas yeah. if you stand up and you're like, would the prime minister agree with me that the leader of opposition is a Burke, <laughs> you know, then you're just going to get shouted down because yeah. the opposition are going to shout you down or, and likewise, I mean, that was never my style in politics. I don't no. really like calling people or I prefer to make a rational constructive point and not just criticize people yeah but anyway so it, it's it can be very very intimidating yeah i can imagine that and especially as well again sort of because there's a lot of sort of males in there and this sort of i always feel like this sort of banter in each other like with when they are cheering everyone on and like not for you because i feel like you're a strong woman, but I feel like if someone didn't feel very confident going into there and there was all that going on with the men, it'd be quite sort of intimidating almost. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I think it probably is for, I don't know if it's a gender problem. It's okay. probably a, um, sorry, not a problem. It's, I, it's definitely something to do with confidence. Yeah. So after a while, you just get used to it and your experience and you know what your tips are and methods for staying calm. Yeah. But the other thing that was very noteworthy is that if you, and this was, I have a very good friend called Guy Opperman, who's the pensions minister, and he had been my mentor when mm -hmm. I was a candidate. And he said, don't worry about being nervous. Because he said, even when you look at the most confident speakers, David yeah. Cameron, Michael Gove, when they're there, 
their hands are shaking or they'll have a tail of nerves. Now my hands don't shake, my legs shake. Okay. So that's quite good because you couldn't see them because you're hidden by the benches. And then when I used to be at the dispatch box, I'd hold on when I was a minister, I'd like gripping onto the dispatch box. So my own side that could see my legs were shaking, but the other side couldn't. Yeah. So some people have to, so it's really natural to be nervous because it's a really intimidating thing. Yeah. Um, and you just, you get more comfortable about it. And the more time you spend there, the more um, confidence you can build up. Now I know lots of people, and there were some times when it was a really ugly atmosphere as well. And it got very, very ugly, I'd say, in 2019, um, by the end of that parliament. It, people were just bored and, not yeah. bored, just upset and fractious and, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but it's quite fun as well. And I must say now when I look and I see everybody spaced out, the fun of parliament for me was the fact of that, you know, all sitting there squashed up together and always having yeah. somebody to talk to, going to the tea room and chatting to people and those actually you learn so much from your colleagues yeah you talk about policy you'll talk about how to deal with issues in your constituency particular points on casework i mean i learned loads from my colleagues just sitting in the tea room or sitting in the chamber and watching them perform because you effectively you're running a small business you know you're yeah. just there on your own but you learn but this is the way that you learn from your colleagues ah oh, that's so interesting um so when going back to when you were talking about when you were PPS for the Prime Minister at the time, Theresa May. Um, mm -hmm. I read that you were the first female PPS to a Conservative Prime Minister, which yeah. is, again, amazing. Um, how was that, working so closely to the, the Prime Minister? Um, yeah, how did it feel? Well, that's, so I didn't know her very well. I knew her, but I didn't know her very well because she was always, when I was there, she was always a minister. So she was Home, home Secretary and then Prime Minister for a year before I started working for her. So she was always dead busy. Um, and I must say, when I got the call, so I got the call about two weeks after the 2017 general election to right. say, we want you to be... Um, and she already had a PPS. They wanted an extra one, which it is quite normal to have two PPSs, actually. Yeah. Um, I was really shocked. And of course, I was very nervous around her for quite some time because I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, and it was bizarre. It's all these things are a bit surreal because you're sitting there and you're literally in 10 Downing Street and you're sitting in these morning meetings yeah. And, and loads and it's all very busy and frenetic so you don't definitely don't have an induction there I mean George Hollingbury who's the other PPS with me he did take me around the building and introduce me to people but it's not like they have name badges yeah. you know or there's no organogram where you can see exactly who does what so that was a bit you know it was just a really steep learning curve but um she's very kind she's very sympathetic patient yeah. and um I got to know her very, very well. Uh, so by the end, in fact, we were, I was having dinner with her the other night and I was sitting next to her and looking at her. I thought, it's so funny because even by the end of the job, I never looked at her by the end and thought, this is the prime minister. I seem to think, of course, and I gave her that respect and I always called her prime minister until the day that she left office. Yeah. I never, ever called her by her first name. But she's just somebody I worked with who was amazing and she's my friend and yeah. I love her you know and I think actually the public saw that they know that she's not a sort of oh let's all go out for a you know 
just like talking nonsense and down the pub and just wanting to everybody to like her. That's not her style. But they knew actually that she was a she is she's um, she's terribly hardworking. She's very dedicated. She's very serious. Yeah, she's very thoughtful and she's very passionate about the causes that she believes in. Yeah, and that's something that really spoke to me. Um, and you know, she she'd say it herself. She's not a person that she's not. She, she's not you don't get to know her really easily she doesn't let her guard down straight away and um but it's no pretense she just is what she is yeah I and definitely great yeah I could definitely tell like she had a good heart like she really cared about like just people like a really lovely human um yes but what what was your role so what what did you have to do as PPS so the role officially is being the eyes and ears of the minister. So I had been one in the education department before then, and then I was the prime minister's PPS. So you help, what you're doing is because she's busy doing yeah. governing the country, um, she can't talk to all the MPs. So no. I helped her do that. So, you know, people will come to me and say, oh, I think she should be thinking about this or such and such or these yeah. people are unhappy with this or people are unhappy with that so i work very closely with the whips office mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um then i would help her prepare for pmqs so that took up a lot of in terms of like what did my week look like yeah um, um she'd so every in downing street there's always a morning meeting every morning okay. where you go through the prime minister's schedule you go through the newspapers and you discuss like important issues of the day so um we'd start off every day then at 8 30 and then i would tend to go back to the commons and talk to people and i would have a space where i sat in the library and so people would know where i was so if yeah. they had things they wanted to talk to me about they've got well i've got my phone <laughs> number but they would always just catch me there and then we'd spend some time on monday afternoon preparing for pmqs we'd spend a big chunk of Tuesday afternoon and then pretty much all of Wednesday morning we would prepare for PMQs. So she'd be there, we'd, I'd be there for part of it and then for part of it I'd go back to the Commons and discuss things and people would yeah. be sending me in their questions right till the last minute. But of course now everybody has to be on the order paper because there's no bobbing. You know bobbing is when people stand up and down right. to try yeah. and catch Mr Speaker's eye. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, and I guess like PMQs is really important because as well, that's when the public have like can watch. So that's the point where you obviously want the prime minister to look and sound and the best and the best answers in time. So that that's really interesting. That, that makes sense. Um, and then you were a public health minister or that was, yeah. After, yeah. Um, yes. yeah. Was, so that was on, under Matt Hancock. Yes. So I got promoted from being PPS to being public health minister and that was amazing i just absolutely love that job i didn't even do it for very long but it has really fed into the passions that i've taken out of parliament mm -hmm. parliamentary life and doing other things so that's a huge brief because it's all of public health and then it's all of primary care but it's also um, around the allocation of medicines which is where you know we lucy you and i did that work around um the CF medicines. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that um, we did sort of, I sort of started campaigning for it in sort of 2016-ish, I think. Um, mm. And then in 2017 was when that I sort of shared my story on BBC Breakfast and then just sort of local radios and people would pick up um, 
when sort of a development happened. And then I remember being on holiday in June 20, was it 29? No, it can't be 2019. Yeah. yeah June 2019. And I was, I was in Cornwall and I'd just sort of done a, um, like a, what are they called a live broadcast from there and then I remember my mum texted me like Seema Kennedy's just mentioned you in the debate and I was like what and so <laughs> I went back and watched I was like ah um so that was sort of I knew a bit before that you've been promoted to that role um mm-hmm. so then for listeners out there there was sort of an ongoing debate with some drugs for cystic fibrosis that tackled the root cause and the issue was sort of the American drug company sort of was asking a lot of money for it. And it was sort of a a debate in a way between the NHS and the American drug company to get Mm. the drug. Um, And Seema and Matt Hancock were a big role from the outside. Anyway, I don't know the ins and outs of it, but were for for me and many others with CFO, the lifesavers really. And and I remember doing a, a newspaper sort of article or an interview afterwards and they were saying they were talking about it and I remember and to this day will always say that I owe my life to you and to Matt oh, I feel I'm getting te- teary I'm now but getting tearful as well because I think the thing is um so I feel really emotional talking about this for so many reasons one is Lucy because you and your parents are you're really the people who made this happen by being such good campaigners yeah um and you really inspired me because I went in and of course the officials who have been working, so that's the civil servants who've been yeah. working, they understand it. They give you the briefing, but I knew what it was like for your mum and dad, you know, yeah. cause they'd spoken to me about it, you know, and we had spoken and I knew how it affected your life. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, we were at the same school, so I'd clearly I'm about twice your, if not much more than that of your age, but we had, <laughs> I'd spoken to people at the school about you. And I think for me, then that really um, brought those statistics and facts and figures to life. Yeah. And frankly, um, the behaviour of the company was unacceptable. Mm. And I fought very, very hard to insert some lines into my speech, which sounds nothing, but these lines were really important and they showed that we were very serious yeah. And that Matt and Teresa were very serious about this yeah. and we're not going to take this line down. Uh-huh. So I feel I'm ple- pleased with myself that I didn't just sort of say, I didn't just say to the officials, yeah, yeah, whatever, give me the speech and I'll speech. I, I fought quite hard to put these certain lines in, yeah. which would send a signal. Uh-huh. And that was quite good. But really with all these things, and I used to say this to my team in South Rebel, you know, I get the when people would write and say oh thank you very much for sorting out my issue well I might have met them in the surgery but it was my caseworkers who were doing the yeah. hard work behind the scenes and I got to stand on the stage well, the, well there was a it was just the tennis center in Bumberbridge and I got the glory but there's always a big team behind you yeah. so yes you get as an M- MP you do get a lot of criticism you get a lot of brickbats and you get, you know, trolling, which is utterly unfair, but you do get to sit in that chamber. You get to meet amazing people and yeah, it was great. And I I think everybody who worked on the campaign should be very proud of what they've achieved. Yeah. And I remember sort of, when I sort of found out, I remember just sort of absolutely crying and being, because say five ten years ago, I never knew this drug was around. I didn't even know that it would be possible I didn't, 
I planned a future and etc but I never really with certainty and then I remember when I had these drugs and it was the moment I just must have been going out with my boyfriend for like four months or so and I, which I thought this has come at a good time for you <laughs> but um, I just thought like I can now be sort of normal I can you know do things and like for instance my lung function which is um it was in 2018 about 58 percent so normal is like 80 to 100 percent and it's up to like mid 80s now which is absolutely incredible and it's well I mean when I saw you running that half marathon I was like <laughs> what I mean that was just so and I mean I knew you'd always been a dancer but when you were doing that I was gobsmacked particularly because I I hurt my hip in lockdown so I haven't been doing any running so I'm now like oh god I feel so unfit I saw you I was like this is amazing this is literally like amazing that she's gone from somebody who was oh I can't go out and do this blah 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 to somebody who's like oh just running around Longton doing a half marathon like completely natural and I hate running so I I don't know but yeah that was good to him to give back um yeah so I was going to ask you sort of maybe one or two really memorable things you've done or maybe things you're proud of um in your time as an MP so I'd say um well the work we did There were a few pieces of very, very sensitive casework that probably I don't really want. All I'd say is there was a few families that came with terrible bereavements where they'd (laughs) suffered great injustices, really great injustices, and we've managed to help them. So those cases where people have had these terrible bereavements, injustices, and you take it to a minister and they feel some sense of closure and relief, they were very satisfying yeah um from you know from things i did locally um i was very sad that we still never managed to get the green lane link which is the road in tarleton because there was a wonderful local councillor there called malcolm barron um who very sadly passed away um Mm. just within the last uh few well i'm trying to think where it was but you know like since early of this year early months of this year and that was very sad and so we didn't manage to get that Green Lane Link Road before he left, but we did a lot of campaigning on it. And I guess the thing I'm most proud of, of course, if you if you wrote my obituary, I suppose the thing was supporting Theresa May during the Brexit yeah. negotiations. And I sat in on some really, really interesting historical meetings, and yeah. that's fantastic. But the thing I'm most proud of is the work I did on loneliness, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. So bringing on sort of talking about that, um, you, was it you, you launched or you helped to launch the Joe Cox Loneliness Commission? Well, I'll tell you what, how it happened. So I had campaigned on loneliness for an awful long time. Mm-hmm. So about probably now by about 10 years. Okay. And I came into Parliament and thought, right, I'm going to carry on doing something about this. And Joe Cox was also interested. So she approached me and said, let's do a cross-party commission yeah uh, that'll have more traction so i she was great very charismatic very no nonsense could get things done and we worked very well together because actually we had quite different backgrounds she came from a campaigning ngo background i was business and pol- and law so we could see it, that was a really good combo mm-hmm. um and then of course she was murdered and i mean that is a that was such a a really searing memory for me because I hardly, I mean, hardly anybody in my life by then had died. Yeah. I I haven't even suffered bereavement, never mind bereavement in such a shocking way. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, so I sort of flailed around thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I approached Rachel Reeves because Rachel and Joe were friends. They were both Labour MPs from Yorkshire. Um, and I said, look, would, would you come and help? Um, and very kindly she did agree and um, so she and I worked really closely together we established the we sort of renamed in into her name and we ran a whole year during 2017 where we looked at different aspects of loneliness how it um, how it affects different people mm -hmm. um, different groups and we produced a report and government basically took up every single one of the recommendations, every single one of the recommendations. We, and then we had the, the world's first ever minister for loneliness, a loneliness strategy. We have a fund. It's still going. There was just a new input of funds to it a few days ago. So it's something I'm very proud of because yeah. this is not just a UK problem. It's an international problem and countries now see us as a leader. So Joe was a real visionary. She caught that. And, um, and it's nice that it's in her memory sort of yeah exactly and um in fact maybe your listeners might want to uh look on the joe cooks foundation um website and on their uh, social media feeds they've got some great campaigning some ideas to connect with people really really easy just just a matter of phoning people because i know during lockdown i mean you think, oh, I'll just text, but actually a 10 minute conversation can make all the difference to somebody's day, waving to your neighbor, learning about loneliness and it's the effects it can have on your physical and mental health. Yeah, it's really there's loads of ways to get involved. You don't have to because lots of people are very busy. You don't and or and some people are still isolating, shielding. You don't have to necessarily go and volunteer and <clears throat> give up hours of your time. It's just about also just connecting with people in your own circle. Yeah, I mean, so in lockdown, I had to shield and I really appreciated when people would walk past the house, they'd just message me or ring me beforehand like, oh, are you in? Or are you at your window? And I'd just open the window and like be able to speak to people. But I rang a, um, an old lady from, from my church I'd not heard from for a while and I was worried about her, but she'd gone in a home, but I'd managed to get her mobile number. And so I just rang her and had a chat and she said like oh it has made a day and it's just nice to, to know that there's also the uh, cross-generational contact mm. as well chatting to different ages and things mm. that's really important because I know um, my grandma died actually at the beginning in May mm -hmm. and that was very difficult um, so of course I haven't been able to see her because of lockdown so she's in black she was in Blackburn and um, yeah. But I, because I used to phone her a lot, and um, I know she appreciated she appreciated that, and lots of older people do, or just anybody who's shielding. Or frankly, I haven't had that experience. But having balancing homeschooling and work and as other things in your life, it's really it's been a very very stressful year. And even for people who you know, like you and me, Lucy, we're lucky. We've got strong family ties, and yeah got um plenty to do but it, even for lots of people it has it's just been a really tough year because it's so it's been so uncertain i think that sense of uncertainty is very disconcerting yeah um i was going to ask you about lockdown what what you've been up to sort of and now what are you doing now you're not a member of parliament so just before lockdown i got some work helping um set up an anti-gambling harms charity 
and that's mm -hmm. very exciting. So we're doing some really exciting research on problem gambling. Um, I'm also doing little bits and bobs around um, talking to people about loneliness and how they uh, how they can best equip their organisations to building connectedness for their employees, their students, etc. Um, well, first lot, I mean. I don't know. I think the thing is, at the beginning, <clears throat> I found it really stressful because it was so utterly unknown. Yeah. And I have three children, so that was a little bit challenging. Homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, the homeschooling. Well, it's not, it's like that non-stop washing up, etc. Like they're making the tea tonight. I mean, God knows what the kitchen's gonna look like when what I get are you there. what are you meant to be having? <laughs> Sausage casserole, but they had basically burnt all the onions. It's gonna taste pretty grim, but anyway, at least they're trying. So that was a pretty but at least they're older so it's not like i've got little toddler my my people that i've talked to who've got toddlers and stuff yeah. that has just been an absolute nightmare so i what did i like about i got to say i'm not one of these people that love lockdown i mm. didn't learn any new skills i didn't um think well i know okay sorry <laughs> what i loved was definitely learning more about nature yeah so i read Isabel Hardman um, wrote a fantastic book earlier this year called The Natural Health Service. And there she speaks about the beneficial effects of getting out into nature every day. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you necessarily have to like go off to the Lake District. You can just look, you can be in an urban environment and pick up things from nature. And she explores different ideas like walking or running, cold water swimming, things like that. So that's really amazing. And that is something I never, ever would have done without lockdown because I would have still just been going in and out of London, probably on a train and then busy, busy, busy. So I had to engage with the countryside much more. And that has been a real blessing, actually. Yeah. Um, I have done that. But besides that, the people say, oh, I learned origami. I've been cooking different. <laughs> I went, we went to stay with some friends in that period when you could in the summer. Yeah. At least in some parts of the country, stay with friends. And he was like, oh, I cooked a new recipe every day. I was like, yeah, Ooh. you can tell you do not have very small children at home <laughs> uh, or you know, younger people. Because for me, it was like, oh, gosh, you know, pasta again, because I'd completely run out of ideas. Um, I've just really missed seeing people. Yeah. I've and I've really missed seeing my parents because East Lancashire has basically been in lockdown for the entire time. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was a very short period when we could see each other and then it stopped again. So that's been really tough. Yeah, I think I've missed sort of just seeing people. I think we went to a restaurant once in August when the, as you say, when the relax the restrictions relaxed. But I think just hugging people, like I said, yeah. if, I, if I have a um, like a birthday party or anything next year, and there's that many people there, I feel I feel I'll feel overwhelmed the next time I see that many people. I know all at once. Um, but it'll be nice when we can all sort of hug and see each other again. And we must be able, we must arrange a catch up in person when. When oh, definitely. I must say, I mean, I have really, really missed my team from Parliament. So I had some yeah. amazing people, two of whom worked with me the entire time. And honestly, I miss them so much because I would spend like the whole of every single Friday with them and often yeah. Saturdays. And they really went through some tough times with me. They were just amazingly supportive. And I've missed them so much uh, because you just can't, you know, just can't see each other. So yeah. that's what I'm looking forward to in 2021, just catching up. And exactly as you say, I just want to be able to go. I was on the tube the other day and I thought, oh, I can't wait till I get on the tube. It's really crowded again. Don't mind yeah. about sniffing somebody's armpit. I just want <laughs> normal life to be back. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, have you any tips for loneliness that people can do for 2021 then? just to I'd say, um, yeah, just reach. First of all, if you're feeling lonely, that is fine. It's completely normal. And we've always said that loneliness is like hunger. It's a natural instinct because we're social creatures and we need to be um, with each other. And very recently, there's been a group of academics who've actually monitored brain activity and it's the same part of your brain that sends hunger signals that send that is triggered when you're feeling lonely wow. so it's nothing to be ashamed of it's a completely normal instinct for uh social creatures which we are mm -hmm. talk to somebody if you're feeling lonely um don't just get on if you want to be on your phone because you want to connect but make sure you have if a face-to-face -face contact with somebody if you can't because you're shielding you've got some other problem do have a telephone call because i'd say that's the next best thing mm -hmm. to yeah. um having a just whatsapping them um get outside and and then do stuff learn about loneliness and try and volunteer volunteering is a great way and i know in south Rubble there's billions of you know all over lancashire there's loads and loads of organizations that help people to connect i worked with and i got to know so many of them and they're not just for old people they're for younger people too and by volunteering you could help a lonely person but then also it can help you overcome your own loneliness yeah well thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today um i think listeners will be really inspired and will just really enjoyed listening to what you've got to say and i really appreciate the time um so yeah thank you that was seema kennedy obe Oh, thank you, Lucy. And um, it was a real pleasure to speak to you. And I hope that 2021 will be a very happy and successful year for you and for all your listeners. Thanks very much. Like Seema said, loneliness is such an important issue. And to find out more information about how you can help, visit www.jocoxfoundation.org and you'll find all the information about the Joe Cox Loneliness Commission and how SEMA is helping. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. To keep up to date with all things From a Lancashire Lass, follow on Facebook and Instagram at From a Lancashire Lass.